From Iraqi falafel, Palestinian hummus to Afghani dumplings, today's guest has created a recipe for resilience and an answer to feeding refugee families. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. In today's episode, I'm talking with Kim Lim, who is the co-founder of Pitcher Eats, a food business rebuilding lives for refugees in Malaysia. Now, Pitcher Eats has a simple mission, to serve you great food. But as you enjoy your meal, you're also providing an opportunity for refugees in Malaysia to start a new life. The chefs have all been forced to flee to Malaysia for a variety of reasons, and Pitcher Eats specializes in delicacies from the homeland of these chefs, from Iraqi falafel, Palestinian hummus, to Afghani dumplings and Syrian sweets. Through Pitcher Eats, refugee families who are forced to flee to Malaysia can get a chance to rebuild their lives, regain their dignity, and provide for their family. In this episode, I talk with Kim about what caused her to establish Pitcher Eats with her co-founders. We will hear the stories of the refugees they're helping and the many challenges she's faced along the way. Let's check it out. So for people who may not know who you are, um, why don't we start off and uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us who you are? Uh, so my name is Kim and I'm one of the co-founders of uh, Pitcher Eats and currently in the CEO position. Uh, what we, what what I do in this position is that we work on business development and partnerships more uh, to see how we can grow Pitcher. And before, in prior to running Pitcher Eats as a food business rebuilding lives for refugees, I was a musician and um, I was studying music and, and then I jumped into being a social entrepreneur. So tell us a little bit about uh, Pitcher Eats. So uh, Pitcher Eats is a business where we do catering and mini buffet deliveries or we call it party packages as well that rebuilds lives of refugees in Malaysia. So what, how it works is that refugees who are from Syria, Palestine, Iraq, Myanmar would cope from the homes that they rent in Malaysia. And then uh, we would deal with all the logistics and operations to deliver them to uh, customers. So that's how we've been running since 2016. Maybe take us back a bit and can you go back before Picture Rich came onto the scene? And what, what, what was the origin story? So yeah, where did this, where did the idea come from? Like what, what did you see or what was the problem you thought you were solving with Pitcher Eats? Yeah, so the co-founders were actually volunteering in a refugee learning center around near to seven years ago. And then we realized that a lot of students were dropping out of education and we wanted them to come back to education. And uh, we could, the only way we knew how to do that was to do fundraising. So we did like music concerts involving the students. And then we raised a pile of money. We've been doing that for around three to four years. We raised money, we sent them back to education, but it, was, it wasn't still solving the problem. Why? Because refugee students were actually dropping off education to find part-time jobs and sustain their family. So the original root cause was that their families couldn't work in Malaysia uh, because Malaysia is not part of the UN Refugee Convention. So they, they can't find enough part-time jobs or odd jobs to sustain their family. And so the students have to do that. So students as, as young as 8 to 10 years old are either working part-time or taking care of their families at home. And so we thought that they have to come back for education and the way we do things has to be sustainable. So we run, we, we thought, why not run a business? And then we were thinking, what business can we do? 
because we didn't have any skills at that time. And looking at how the families could cook, and we thought, okay, why not we sell food homemade by refugees from different countries with their authentic recipe to customers in Malaysia? Let's try and do that. And so we did our first sales in the university, uh, selling to our friends with the first family from Myanmar that we worked with. And so this Myanmar family had a boy whose his name is Picha, and that's where we got our name called Picha Eats. Um, and then uh, we started doing that in the university. We started after that selling to companies and customers, improving our services. And um, until today, uh, from 2016 to 2020, we've been able to partner with around 25 families from seven different countries or uh, background or culture and uh, serving 160,000 meals to customers and and hoping to do more. Yeah, great. So, so tell me a little bit more about Pitcher. Like, what, what was his story? Like, why, why was he in Malaysia and um, what were some of the things, I guess, that he was uh, struggling with? Yeah, so uh, Pitcher and his family came to Malaysia, I think, around seven to eight years ago or so. So Pitcher, they, they came all the way from Myanmar because Myanmar was, uh, the people in Myanmar was highly persecuted by the militarians. And so they, the family of Peter escaped from uh, Myanmar, came all the way down to Malaysia. We met with the, the mom and, and the mom, they have like a culture where women are supposed to work from, uh, are supposed to stay at home and take care of the family. They're not used to the concept of working, but because they, they were really needing money and we thought, okay, let's, let's try and convince this mom to cook. For a bunch of people so she was very inconfident at the first place but we somehow able to convince her and uh, after that her confidence grew and every time when we wanted to pack the the meals we we realized that Peter is always there wanting to help he, he always wanted to do something like at least do something and and but he wasn't very much of a help because every time we hand him a meal he would he would put the meal upside down. <laughs> and so we had to repack the meal. But his spirit of wanting to help, his spirit of always wanting to share what he has is something that we want to embody in Pincha. And so we named the company after him. And so that we would remember why we do what we do down the road. Right. Before Pincha Eats uh, came along, uh, how, how would these families normally earn money? Yeah, so they, they earn money like, through part-time or odd jobs, uh, washing cars, selling handphones, selling shirts, waitressing, washing dishes—very, very odd jobs. Yeah. So, so your so your original idea. So you you, you worked with Pitcher's family and um, you got them to you know, cook some meals, and you you basically drew on friends and family to. Did you you sold sold that food? You were selling it to friends and family. Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, and, and what was the feedback you were getting from friends and family? Well, when we started, the feedback was really good. People have not tried food from Myanmar before, and then after that, uh, we went into the houses of uh, Syrian Palestinians, trying all different food. the The comments that we would get from Malaysians are always like, "Our food was dry after that," um, because we have very different palates with uh, the Middle Easterns or people from the north, and so we had to do a bit of of tweaking. So in Malaysia context, our taste buds are very used to wet food. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so 
we had to do a bit of tweaking. We had to do a bit of a training. And uh, eventually we kind of found like, found out like what was the problem and we fixed it. Right now, customers are, are happy with the food. I wouldn't say like 100% of people agree with the food because Malaysians are so, uh, they love their food so much. Sometimes they, they can't get used to food from Middle Eastern sometimes, which, which reminds me that Malaysians sometimes have more explorative in the taste buds um, but other than that like people are uh, very receptive of the idea and they, they they like the food they like the service where we try to improve our service too so after friends and family what was what was the next thing you did like what, what where did you go to try to get more customers we went to like companies or small medium enterprises so what we did is we did cold calls we did cold emails and eventually, uh, one of the email reached out to one of the publications. At first, we asked them to buy. They didn't want to buy, but they were very happy to feature our story. So once, once that publication featured our story, it kind of went viral. Like, like people were asking to feature. The other publications were asking to feature magazines, newspapers, radios, TV, and then people knew more about it. And then word of mouth of companies, the first few companies who were willing to try us out started to spread. And that's where we gain our publicity and, and start promoting more of what we do. Yeah. And so and so what's the what's the sales pitch for Picket Eats when you get or Picket Eats when you go to talk to these companies? Like what how do you how do you position what you're doing? Uh, we position ourselves, I mean, for the first two years, we do position ourselves as a social enterprise trying to help the refugees and this is uh, what they can do, they can cook. Well, before Picha is, we were called the Picha Project and people would always view us as a project and a project who helps refugees with food. And last year, we changed and rebranded the Picha Eats because we want people to know that we're not just a project, we're a company, we're a food business and we're here to stay. Uh, we're here to provide uh, the necessary training and a platform for refugees to be catering to the customers. And so today, it, when we are doing a pitch, we will always tell people we're a food business. You know, we, we, we're a food business. We do catering services and mini buffet deliveries. It's just so that our chefs are refugees that are staying in Malaysia. Talk us through, the, through one of those sales pitches. So when you go meet, meet a client for the first time, how do you start off? Are you, are, you, are you talking about the social mission first or are you maybe 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 give us an impromptu sales pitch as if I'm a company wanting to uh, looking for a caterer? Yeah, sure. So uh, we would always start off with like why we started at the first place, uh, like uh, who are we and the problems that we face at the first place and why we exist. And then uh, after that, we will say these are the services that has evolved from the mission or the, 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 the why that we start off. And then after that, the services that are, are available are like catering, mini buffet deliveries or mailboxes. And, uh, and then we will brainstorm in what way we can actually service the customers. Sometimes they don't require all these services. They, they require other things. And then we would think, oh, how can we involve uh, our work into their daily agenda? or try to understand like how their uh, daily agenda is like that uh, we can put our services be part of their uh, company and then uh, we will always bring food for food tasting and and that's how we how, that's how we do the pitch right yeah so i think that's um 
So leading with the why, actually, what is your, what do you tell them is the reason you do what you do? Your why? Uh, like, we why we will definitely tell them like the story of how we started and or how the co-founders started. And then we tell them the problems that uh, Malaysian has faced because we have 180,000 registered refugees. Malaysia did not allow them to work. And a lot of them might end up creating social problems for Malaysia. And so we must have a platform where they are producing and, and, and contributing. And so Picha is this platform. And when you hit that spot, uh, people will be like, okay, I want to be part of uh, this movement already. And then you gave them a how. The how was to eat with us, to buy with us, to purchase with us and believe in our services because we have we have good reviews on Google and uh, you can go check them out. And through word of mouth, uh, people knew what Picha is, is as well. And so they will give it a try. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's really that's exactly the right way to go about positioning something like this. I've just actually just this weekend gone by. I was um, at a university and we were running it's like an entrepreneurship program for university students. And the very first presentation is start with why, which is you know Simon Sinek, Simon Sinek with his thing back in two thousand nine. Uh, I think nailed it on the head. Um, and it's, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. And it gets people into, uh, you know, if you start with why it attracts the types of customers that want to work with your product uh, or service, but there's also a really strong behavioral science and, and neuroscience reason why it's really successful. Because as you said, you know, when these companies hear your story, they want to be part of that movement. And the, f- the, food, the food's not secondary, and it's still important because obviously they want to cater her. But but the movement it becomes bigger than the food. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and so what sort of businesses are you working with um, then? We have catered to businesses from Facebook to bank bank banking industry, insurance industry like Allianz, all the way to Google and more medium enterprises, even local startups uh, here, here as well. Yeah, great. And so so going back going back then when you were getting picture each set up so you started off selling to some friends and family and then you expanded to some business I mean, what 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 have been some of the, the toughest and hardest challenges that you you've faced in sort of getting it off the ground regarding to getting off the ground i think the first thing that we we started without business background mm-hmm. uh so we had to we got into an accelerator program four months to accelerate our learnings and our progress it did us a really good bit at the time and then we were faced with operational challenges because we were not good in that as well so we had to we faced a lot of mistakes and then we had to fix and fix them and then after that the chat the next challenge was then partnering with the families or the chefs that comes from different countries because they have different culture so it took us some time to understand how to work with them and then following the years it was then how to hire how to gain leadership quality that people would respect you and want to work with you because people would like your cause but people might not respect you as a person to be working with you and so there there were there was a lot of self leadership self awareness thing going on with us so all these were all the challenges that we faced when we started. Yeah. So I just want to get back to that accelerator program because your story there of you know being a, you know a student that was inspired to do something but had zero business skills to start with. When you think back to that accelerator program, what what do you think is the biggest skill sets that your superpowers you got from doing an accelerator program around your sort of business skills? 
I think the biggest skill set that we had at that time was numbers because being a person who had zero business skills, numbers wouldn't come natural to you. But numbers are the thing, is the thing that will drive your business. So numbers, whether it's tracking your marketing results or tracking your costing or tracking your operational uh, level, it, it took us a lot, quite some time to get used to numbers. We, we hustled a lot at the time, but we also uh, struggled some, quite some time to be understanding how numbers were so important to us. Yeah. So, so, so sticking with the topic of numbers then, so how, how did you, when you first started, how did you fund what you're doing? Or was it all, all sweat equity in trying to get it off the ground? It's a lot of sweat equity, I would say. We, we started without, without any capital. Why? Because we made people pre, pre-order or prepay th- their orders. Um, that's where we start rolling the profits. We, our, our first capital probably was just 30 ringgit to the families or the chef to, to try out the food and uh, to try cooking the food. And then after that, it was just getting the revenues in and then rolling on profits, uh, being really lean. And, and we, but one thing is as a social business or as a social enterprise or a, a business trying to do good, it's very important that we remember to pay ourselves. So we started with a mindset that we had to pay ourselves no matter whether it's a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks. It has to be in your accounts. And then, and then you, you would always push yourself to be making a revenue or else you'll be like, okay, I don't really have to pay myself this month. This revenue is fine. You, you, you'll be contented with what you have. And so we always try to pay ourselves and every six months we would add we would add another few hundred bucks into our salary just to push ourselves to make sure that we make those revenues. Yeah, and I think it's really important that um, you know, social social enterprises need to, have, I guess, perform at the same standard as any for-profit business because the yep. if you're, you, know, you need resources to deliver on the impact that you're trying to deliver on and often those resources require financial resources. So uh, you need to be very mindful of the numbers otherwise you get in trouble very, very quick. And Yep. Uh, you and then it's not sustainable. Exactly. Yeah, and you can't live on love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. As, as passionate as you might be about the mission, um, you still need to pay the bills, and you need need to you know get customers to the door, and you need to you know do all those things that you need to do for a business. So, if there was someone listening out there right now, and you know, I've just finished training you know a hundred odd university students who have this burning desire to um, make something great happen in the world. What it, what's one what from what you've learned so far? What's one piece of advice that you give someone like that? I would advise you to start now because being a student who is near to graduating or just graduated, it's is the best time to be cultivating your ideas and 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 work on it because you have your you have no strings attached. You're just fresh into into the scene, and if you make any mistakes, people will be more forgiving because you're fresh. And be more brave because I think one thing that stops people from pursuing is just the fear of failing. So don't don't be don't be afraid of failing because the more you fail, the the more you will learn. That's all. No one would judge you because they know that you're still a student. Or people will probably say like, no, you can't do it. No, it's not gonna work. But those those people will will then if they see you succeed one day, they will come back and tell you that. I'm sorry that I said that at the first place. So just 
shut your ears to those naysayers and find the people that would believe in your mission. And in in that time of uh, before graduating or after just after graduating, it's the best time to be doing this. You have so much time. It's the golden time. Great. Excellent advice. What's um, Picture Eats look like today? You know, how, how big are you? you know, how many sort of chefs have you got? We are at like 10 full-timers, 15 part-timers and partnering with near to 20 chefs right now. We used to not, so the three co-founders have no cooking background. So we used to not know how can we fix their recipe or, or things. Um, but today we have an in-house chef. We can start doing research and development on good recipes or uh, recipes that will excite people. And uh, we, can, we can work on more of the recipes that are from the, the, the chefs and improve them. So I think one thing very important to put our, put our mind into is to focus on the service and, and the product that we're, we are uh, selling. So it's not, in the end, yes, the social mission could look really sexy in the first place. But after that, people want to make sure that they receive a quality product and quality service. So we have more, a bit more manpower to be focusing on, on these two things today. In terms of number of meals, if you could do an estimate, how many meals do you think you're serving each week? I don't have like each week, but each month we serve between three to 5,000 meals depending on festivities. Yeah, great. Awesome. All right. So if people wanted to learn more about Picture Eats or to get in touch, um, what's the best way for them to connect? You can connect with us on any platform like Instagram, Facebook. We're on TikTok as well, on LinkedIn. Uh, We're very much active on LinkedIn. Uh, Or just head on to pictureeats.com or just email us at hello at pictureeats.com. Great. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the, uh, the show notes for people who might be out on a run at the moment or in their car and can't take notes. So uh, let's uh, wrap up with what we call our mad minute. So it's uh, five, five questions in 60 seconds. Um, so what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Be you, be authentic. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Uh, my favorite business book for right now is The Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Eager. Great. Uh, and when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A doctor. A doctor, not a rock star? No. A, a, re- a rebel rock star? Uh, after that, it was, it was a rock star, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, what's your favorite quote? Being successful is uh, being consistent. And if you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Make more mistakes. Make more mistakes, that's it? Yeah, make more <laughs> mistakes, fail more, learn more. Good advice. All right. Well, that's it for another episode. So, look, really, I think you know the even that sales pitch you gave before. I think that's going to be really useful for people listening. Um, you know, start with why. Um, I think the mission's great, but you also sound like you're um, you're getting those really foundational business skills around understanding the numbers and understanding that if you know, you're going to have a business that does something in sustainability or some sort of social impact, it also needs to be a sustainable business. So wish you the best of luck in the future. I can't wait to see what you guys do. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Good Business Podcast. Yep, no problem. Thank you so much. Now, if there's one thing that is clear from all the guests we spoke to so far on the Good Business Podcast is that the first step in creating an impact business is to make sure that you have a product that your customers love. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, 
and you like today's episode, make sure you click that like and subscribe button. Also, you should tell a friend about the podcast so they can get some inspiration from great businesses doing great things, especially during these very interesting times. Coming up on the next episode. You know, essentially 70% of fresh water goes to agriculture. So if you wanted to, and then 70% of our freshwater contamination comes from agriculture. So if you wanted to solve water, you really needed to get into ag. Our next guest went from backstage on Broadway to center stage in the urban farming revolution. You won't want to miss this one. Well, that's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. Until next time.